electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Dee, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, the best week of the year for stocks. Well, that's what we're heading for right now. The question, though, is whether some of the new momentum is about to be built on or will soon break down again. We'll debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Kerry Firestone, Michael Farr, Jim Labenthal, Josh Brown, Pete Najeri, and the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Let's check the markets right now. You see where we stand here. Dow is positive, 34,102. That's a gain of 38, 39 points. NASDAQ's only negative by a fraction could go positive before I even finish the sentence. 216 is the yield on the 10-year note. And our big question really building off what I said at the top, this best week of the year so far for stocks. I'll tell you what, I just got my hands on a new note, too, that you guys need to know about. Marco Kalanovic, right? You guys, I've said this over the last few weeks as he's dropped notes, you know, every now and then suggesting there was too much negativity uh, in the market. Now he's going uh, a step even further. His headline today, a time of big risks, but even bigger market opportunities. He says the correction in bubble stocks is now likely finished. Um, He says geopolitical risk will likely start abating in the next few weeks. And then, and here's the payoff, great opportunities and high beta That's surprising. Innovation, technology, biotech, emerging markets. This is about as bullish as one can get in the kind of environment we're in, Farmer Jim, Mr. All In yourself. What do you think about this? Well, I think there's two parts to it. One is the negativity was too much. Now, we are 5% off of this week's bottom, but I think there's a lot more room to run. May not be in a straight line, um, but there are positives out there that I've been crowing about for some time, whether it's infrastructure spending, CapEx, or people traveling again. So I do think, and I've been saying it for quite some time, you're supposed to get invested here. Um, If Marco wants to go to technology and the hyper-growth companies, I I won't fault him for that, but I will say I still see the better opportunities in the cyclicals. Now, energy's run too far. I'm not adding there. But industrials, financials, even some of the materials still have some opportunity in them. Um, So that's the second part is those are the sectors I'm more interested in. The bigger picture, I really applaud him. I think he's absolutely right. Things got oversold. We've had a 5% bounce in two days. Yeah, I get you. Go Um, ahead, Scott. Kerry, this is right in your your ballpark, right? I mean, this is what you argued the other day and he goes as far as to say the correction in bubble sectors is now likely finished well of course that's marco's job to make those predictions and i applaud it Uh, what we know for sure is that we might be up five percent but the nasdaq was down 23 percent and people talked a week ago about how there are absolutely no buyers no bids for any of these tech names that had gotten just trounced down 50 to 90 percent. And it was really that the sellers had finally sold, dumped, puked out all of those shares that they had accumulated in 2020 and 2021. 
and there was nobody left to, to sell and a few buyers, the stragglers in there. I mean, we bought some, I talked about it, and that's what made these stocks pop. Uh, so, yes, I think that there are many places that you can buy stock. But, of course, we need to be careful. You just can't keep loading up and assume the market goes straight up vertically the way it went up back, you know, two years ago um, when things started to rally after the pandemic. And remember, you know, we have uh, the risk of recession. There's a war. Interest rates are going up. There's inflation. Much of that has been discounted. Again, if you think about what we saw March 24th of 2020, right. that was when the market bottomed, and that was when things had only begun to get bad with the pandemic, and the market then went straight up for many months. So um, I, I read you this. Look, he, he is not suggesting, you know, go all in everywhere. He suggests we know that not all assets are cheap. And one can still find expensive segments in mega caps, defensive and low volatility stocks that are sensitive to rising rates in a slowing U.S. economy. But Pete Najarian, when you look at and I really want to focus on these so-called bubble areas um, because people have lost a lot of money in these stocks and maybe are thinking about opportunities to try and get back in or those who weren't even in this space because they thought it was too expensive that now's the time to buy. You've been very critical of the so-called no multiple stocks uh, like the ARC names, okay? ARC itself is down 54% from its 52-week high. Shopify 64, Block 57, Zoom 73, Coinbase 59, Unity 57, and on and on and on. Is now the time to take Marco's advice and start buying some of these um. bubble area stocks? I would say this, I am still cautious. And buying the stocks, no. Buying the options, sure. And it gives you the opportunity to be there, Scott, if this is something that's going to move for a while. But I still think you've got to be very, very careful because even though these names, and I think this is really important and not, not enough of this is talked about, even when these names get cut by 50%, that doesn't necessarily mean they're cheap. That means that they were extremely overvalued, and now they still might be overvalued, and they probably are overvalued in many cases, because they don't make money. And that's, that's been part of the problem the whole time for me is a lot of these very mature names that don't make money, you know, I'm not sure at what level some of these names actually become a buy. I do think there are a list of names out there, however, that were extremely high multiples that give you a chance as we've seen this drop. But I still don't know, Scott, that you want to be putting in your, your, uh, in your account a lot of these names at this point in time with stock. I think that's why the option world right now has been great. 48 million contracts trading yesterday. Gives you a good example of just how active things were in a market that moved 500 points up, 500 points down, and then moved all the way up again. So it, it shows you the markets that we're in, the volatility that we're in, the velocity of these moves, and those Chinese names. They were absolutely smoking yesterday. Today, they're getting smoked a little bit. So I think that you've got to be very, very cautious as you approach what types of names you're looking at here. Are you looking at the quality names? Or are you looking at the high flyers that were high flyers two years ago that maybe don't really have that kind of a, a, a runway still in front of them to go to the upside? So, Josh Brown, um, look, we spoke in overtime last night. and I, I feel like you were, you know, you were fairly cautious even though you had a blog post suggesting that we may in fact have a short-term bottom in stocks. I want you to weigh in on what Kalanovic is suggesting here about these great opportunities that he says exist in the highest of high beta stocks, innovation, tech, biotech, emerging markets. What do you think? 
So the problem, the problem with what he's saying, of course, he could be right. The problem with what he's saying, though, is that he's saying two things that I don't think can happen at the same time. He's suggesting that these high beta areas could have like a, were too oversold. Of course, they were at least short term and could run here. But then he's also saying that he's bullish on commodities and commodity equities. And he sees energy um, go, like the pendulum swinging way back further to where it was. And the problem with that is so long as energy prices continue to swing back higher, um, even if that's great for the related energy equities, that's not great in terms of what you think central banks around the world have to do. The Taiwanese central bank just raised rates overnight by a quarter of a basis point for the first time since 2011. This is a globally synchronized rate hiking cycle. Um, the UK is there. Europe is there. We are now there as of yesterday. All over the world, there is money tightening. So if you think that energy prices and are, are going substantially higher, which it sounds like that's what he's, he's saying, that's going to make it tough for the other parts of what he's saying to come true. Um, unless we're going to start playing everything rally game. Uh, once again. So, I, look, I, I would say this. There are things you can do, right? I bought Moderna. I thought it was ridiculously oversold. I had a very, very low buy limit in, like at 125. That thing is already 160 or whatever it is. Like, you can do things like that because there are cases where individual stocks or sectors have just been utterly thrashed and maybe didn't deserve it. I added to Shake Shack, a little bit of a bounce. I added to Dutch Bros. That thing's actually breaking out today. I don't know if there's any news. Like, you can do little things, but again, I don't like this language of all in or all out or this is it or this is the bottom. I think we're in a bear market rally. I think rallies are guilty until proven innocent so long as we're below the 10-month moving average, which we are in the NASDAQ, in the S&P 500. And last thing, the longer we remain below those moving averages, the more chance there is for the moving average itself to go from being flat to negatively sloping, which means lower highs. That weighs on sentiment, and I think it makes it very difficult for us to say to ourselves that this is the bottom, that's the bottom. We really have to be vigilant here and not feel like two green days in a row means we're, we're off to the races. Uh, understood. I mean, look, um, it's been a while since we've been able to put a couple of green days in a row together, so I can understand the optimism. And this is no real new optimism from Kalanovic, who has suggested, as I said at the outset, that there was simply too much negativity in the market and that it was, in fact, Maybe time to buy some stocks. As I said, this feels to me like it's taking it even a step further, saying that the most sensitive areas in the pullback, these so-called bubble areas that maybe it's finished, likely finished is the exact wording that he uses. And frankly, when I spoke with Jeffrey Gundlach yesterday in overtime post-Fed, I was somewhat surprised by the fact that, look, I mean, he's obviously known as, you know, the bond king, but even he thinks that stocks are fairly pretty good right here. Let's listen. I think the stock market was way oversold. I think commodities got way overbought. And so I'm not surprised that we've had relative market stability into this uh, Fed decision. Uh, and I expect that the oversold will continue to work its way uh, higher. In other words, stocks will go higher. I saw your question about will we be higher on the S&P. 
at the next meeting. I, I think probably we will be. Yeah, so he weighed in on our Twitter question as well, which we appreciate it. But Michael Farr, this tees it up to you. So Kalanovic makes his case. Gunlock joins the chorus of those suggesting that, you know what, maybe the stock market is OK, at least in the near term. He's not making a, a, a three year call or anything of the like, a couple of month call. But nonetheless, even those who are invested over the long term want to know where stocks are going in the next few months. Right. Scott, I don't find calls like this to be particularly helpful. I think they get people whipped up and focused on the short term when when they ought to be investing for the long term. And if you're investing for the long term, you are paying attention to a lot of the things that Kalanovic suggests you should pay attention to. Some I disagree with. I mean, the higher beta uh, momentum names, uh, those those you don't buy momentum names particularly usually if you're an investor. So uh, things with real good fundamentals that are really strong companies that have good cash flow, that have better or much better position to endure downturns and maybe even endure really a lot of volatility that I think will be with us for a long time. It's those sorts of companies in which you should invest. And yes, you can add to them opportunistically on these pullbacks. I think last week looked like a much better week than this week if you're going to be buying. But I think the opportunities are not over. I'm going to agree with Josh and some of the others who've already spoken. Uh, I don't think we've seen the end of the downturn here. Technically, we saw that death cross on the S&P 500. What an unfortunate name. But that we should see some pullbacks here with all of the volatile news and escalating commodity prices out there, I think makes more sense. Input costs are rising. Labor costs are rising. Those hurt earnings margins. In spite of that, earnings are okay. So with those companies that have good earnings and better price opportunities, Yes, add. But for me, I add as an investor, I hope to own them forever if I can. But Kerry, I mean, Kerry's not a fly by night day trader, right, Kerry? I mean, I look at I'm, I'm talking about a Twilio. <laughs> I don't need to make the case. You make the case. Yeah. I want to have a debate. Twilio's down 65 percent. You're an investor. Is it time to take this advice from Kalanovic and buy some of these stocks? If you've waited to get in, if you never got in because you thought the valuations were crazy to begin with, but now they've come way back down to earth. If you have a long term time horizon and there are stocks on my list in front of me that, you know, the fundamentals seem to be pretty decent. I yeah. mean, Twilio's down 65 yeah, percent. That's it, one it, on your list. Right, exactly. So uh, so a, a couple of points. One, if if we look at a balanced portfolio. So we have stocks that range from, you know, American Express, which sells for below a market multiple and United Healthcare to Twilio and PayPal. And what we do is try to create sort of a risk spectrum. And we've had an allocation to stocks that are high risk, but we think that they have potentially great returns in cash flow. PayPal went from a multiple of 52, I think it's 17 and a half now on next year's earnings. And Twilio isn't earning money yet, but they're the leader in the sort of communications field when it comes to sort of the digital transmission of information, whether it's your dentist, your airline, a restaurant reservation. And they're the first and the leader and the most dominant in the field. If you assume companies like that will grow 20% per year for the next five years and that they have a 25% margin, and that uh, things don't sort of fall apart in the economy to decimate their market, but we don't think that's likely. These stocks have 150% t- 
type of return if you buy now, a name like Twilio. And that's true of several of the names that we talked about the other day. The growth versus value perspective is also important. You know, since the end of the year, uh, the large cap value, mid cap value and mid cap growth has out um, and small cap value has outperformed growth by 1,300 to 1,600 basis points. So medium of 14.5%. That's just year to date. The um, the relative uh, price appreciation of value return I mean, value versus growth, and you know that's that's a reason for us to say you you have to make a, a concerted effort to find names I'm, on the on the growth side. Adobe, Autodesk, etc. I'm looking at PayPal, Josh, for example, which 310. It's been cut by two thirds. It's at 109 dollars today. Scott Minard was on closing bell the other day on Monday and suggested that yeah, I mean even he thinks that valuations have gotten creamed so much that now's the time, if you're an investor with a three- to five-year time horizon, that that's a name that you should be buying. It pretty much goes to the same thing Kalanovic is saying, and I don't know if you still own PayPal, but you did. Yeah, so I think that's a really good point. And, you know, we went through like uh, 10 of these charts the other night, just looking at companies that had this huge amount of, of pull forward, demand pull forward, adoption pull forward during COVID, and just trying to get a sense of like where they are now versus the onset of the pandemic. And PayPal is one of these insane situations where their business probably 5X'd during the course of the pandemic. Like just in terms of, um, you know, uh, uh, the values going over the network, the amount of transactions, the user growth, et cetera. This is one of those companies with DocuSign, with Zoom, there's a whole list, uh, Teladoc, where they're now selling below where they were prior to the pandemic, sitting with a much, much larger customer base. And just like if you know nothing about stock market investing, just intuitively, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense. So either they all sold a ton of stock on the market and it's not apples to apples or um, investor sentiment is shooting too far to the downside, overshooting to the downside, just like it overshot to the upside in the spring of 2021. And I think that's probably closer to the truth. So it's not that these are now completely uninvestable forever. The real question is, if your time horizon is six months to a year, you're probably following Berkshire Hathaway, which is making a new high every single day of the week, no matter what the market is doing seemingly. You're probably more interested in being in that trade or Chevron than you are in being in PayPal. But again, that's for people who are focused more on outperform the market this month, outperform this quarter, outperform this year. If that's less important to you, and you're really looking for things that over three to five years will, in the fullness of time, be seen as a bargain, then yes, some of these casualties of the NASDAQ crash do make more sense and should be looked at. So I really think that that's more based on what kind of an investor and or trader are you. And that's how you'll know if you want the PayPals of the world on your screen. All right. Let's bring in our halftime headliner now, Jeremy Siegel, the professor of finance at the Wharton School is back with us. It's good to see you again, Professor. Welcome back to halftime. Happy to be here, Scott. I was going to get your broad view at the top on what you think now that the Fed has spoken. But before I do that, I want you to react to this commentary from Marco Kalanovic that the correction in bubble sectors is now likely finished. A time of big risks is the headline, but even bigger market opportunities. Do you agree? 
I, I like the overall market in long run. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm skeptical on whether the bubble stocks have uh, hit their bottom. Uh, and I'll tell you why. And it does have to do with the Fed. As you know, Scott, because I've been on with you, you know, I was saying all uh, for over a year that the Fed had to be far more aggressive than people thought. And in my opinion, they're still not aggressive enough, given the worsening inflation. What I see this year is a struggle. I think profits are going to be good, but I think that the Fed is going to have some half point hikes, uh, maybe quite a few along the way. So we're not going to, you know, just, you know, end up at uh, 1.9 uh, percent. In my in my opinion, it, it just it, it does not make sense when they say the long term in, interest rate 2.4 percent. Now, they did lower at 10 basis points. That would be 2 percent inflation with normal employment. Now, even Powell admitted it's the hottest job market uh, in decades, if ever, we know it is the worst inflation in 40 years. And so he's only going to go to 1.9%, not even the normal. You've got to go over the normal in order to slow down a super hot economy with too great inflation. So there's going to be some more upside surprises on interest rates, but there's still going to be good profits. That means that rotation that we was spoken about value growth, I mean, really, I think is going to continue through 2022. I mean, professor, they were, and, they were, let's make, let, let's not kid ourselves, right? I mean, they were hawkish yesterday. They were aggressive well, they, yesterday, right? Seven hikes yeah, this they, year, six more, maybe you get a 50. Then you tell me why I look at the yields right now on my fact set and I've got the two year and the 10 year falling. Yeah, you have the you have the two year and and the ten year falling because it kind of came out uh, as expected. By the way, one thing that was only hinted on by Powell, which I I think is going to be a big thing, is he said we're formulating our quantitative tightening rules, and he said it's going to be more aggressive than what we have in 2018. Now I began to think about that. You know, their balance sheet's $9 trillion. To get down to pre-COVID was $4 trillion. I don't think they're going to, certainly not going to do it all away, but that means they're going to be selling yeah. one, $100 to $200 billion of government debt, mortgage-backed securities into the market. Uh, that's going to impact those long-term rates and those five-year, two-year rates. I mean, I've got one of your former pupils here with me, Farmer Jim Labenthal. I know you didn't call him that when he was in class. You probably <laughs> called him something else. I don't, I don't know, but he disagrees with you, and I want him to okay. tell you why. I, I love when people disagree with me. Student, tell, tell me your reasoning. Student to professor. The tables have turned here. You have your chance, Jim Labenthal. <laughs> All right, professor, every time I think of you, I think about, I think it was Econ 101 or whatever it was, it was like the fireside chat with you know, the, the professor about economics. And I feel like one of the things you taught me was the importance not only of the independence of the Fed, 
but the stability of the Fed, the sort of long, the long cycle of the Fed. I hear you. You've been consistent saying they're behind the curve. But man, the other day, they just ratcheted it up. I mean, seven rate hikes this year. I feel like you want that steady hand on the tiller. You don't want Powell or the committee throwing the rudder this way and then the other way. I'll grant you, they do look pretty far behind the curve, but they've they've now thrown the rudder over in the direction. I, I feel like if you ask them for more, you're gonna you're gonna have some volatility. You might swamp the boat. Well, you know, certainly I, I hear what you're saying, but the, yeah, the objective facts to me, a one point nine percent Fed funds rate from a long-term historical is still very low with a five with a nine trillion dollar balance sheet which he's going to announce how they're going to reduce it uh I, I know that this is a hawkish uh uptick certainly from three months ago but i don't see how it can solve a seven percent to eight percent inflation that is getting worse uh what he, we, we need to do is is get up above that Real and yeah, there's going to be some market turbulence on I mean, that but you know what those earnings are still going to be coming in i think how many times it's going to you... be the discount rate you know it's it's the, as as a you know, professor the student you remember it's a numerator and denominator that makes the price of a stock numerator are profits the denominator is that discount rate those interest rates so we may going to be aggressive on the bottom profits are still going to be high you know as I think this spring and for and summer, when we, you know, basically all the restrictions on on uh, the COVID are going to uh, fall, people are going to want to spend, and the prop and and firms are going to be able to pass on higher prices. And oil has come, you know, down a bit from the uh, emergency. I think the rally we saw has to do with easing of the tensions, uh, which are very good in Ukraine. It's not over yet. But that the fear of, uh, you know, with Putin moving into the Baltics and Poland and everything else, that seems to be a little bit quiet, you know, to try to get some solution. I mean, that would be a very, very positive factor. But you're still facing a lot of inflation. And as I said, you're facing monetary expansion uh, on the money supply that I want to see slow down before I can be confident that we've got this thing under control. I don't see that yet. Next Professor, Tuesday, by the way, another money Professor, supply comes out. I'm going to be watching like a hawk. Professor, it's Josh Brown. Don't you think that some of the exacerbating factors that were driving inflation prior to the oil and wheat spike from war were already in the process of topping out? Home prices, we know, uh, new home prices probably peaked. We're seeing signs that whatever went on in the mortgage market was enough to cool people off, the sticker shock, et cetera. Now you have the stock market, the NASDAQ basically crashing in the first two months of the year. The rest of the stock market, the gains moderating, enthusiasm among traders moderating. Those were two of the biggest drivers of the kind of consumer behavior that drove inflation in 2021 in the first place. Combine that with the fact that somebody who bought a dishwasher last year isn't buying another one this year. Somebody who was on a waiting list for a pickup truck and got their truck, they're not on the next waiting list. Don't we have enough there to say that combined with what the Fed is doing, we will get inflation somewhere close to their target? I think they said year end. They see it around four and a half percent. 
Should, should we not think that enough of these forces are already working on the issue? We definitely need mm-hmm. more? Or should we wait and see if we need more? Uh, I mean, I, I think we're not there yet. I mean, I take a look at the labor pressures. Uh, by the way, did people get their dishwashers? I mean, I know some people said, listen, I would have paid you know, 20% <laughs> more if I could get my dishwasher. Uh, and uh, I see the labor pressures there. And by the way, I yes, they're not, home prices are not going up quite as much as they did before. I don't really see them going down. Rentals are bursting. And by the way, we've talked about the fact those are not fully in those inflation statistics. The way the Bureau of Labor Statistics does this is with a big lag. That's going to push through on those statistics through this year and early on, on next hey, year. Professor, do me a favor. Hold your, hold your thought. Hold your thought. I want to take a quick break. I got to do that. I, I don't want you to go anywhere, though, because I want to continue the conversation. We have more to ask you about. We're back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden and Irish Prime Minister Michal Martin denounced Russia's invasion of Ukraine at the public start of their St. Patrick's Day bilateral meeting. They had to talk by video link with Martin isolating in Blair House across the street from the White House this after testing positive for COVID last night. We have to be united, and we certainly are. And uh, But uh, I, uh, Putin's brutality and what he's doing and his troops are doing in Ukraine is just inhumane. The U.S., the European Union, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, the uh, other uh, Canada and other like-minded democracies are coming together um, to uh, respond uh, in an unprecedented way uh, to this barbaric attack. The detention of WNBA star Brittany Griner in Russia has been extended until May 19th. Investigators had asked the Moscow court for more time. According to a state-owned Russian news agency, Authorities say that a search of her luggage at a Moscow airport found an oil derived from cannabis. And White House COVID coordinator Jeffrey Zients is leaving next month. He will be returning to private life. Moving into the post, Dr. Ashish Jha, a public health expert who's been advocating for an aggressive approach to the pandemic. Scott? Thank you very much. We are back now with Jeremy Siegel, the professor of finance at the Wharton School. Professor, I'm not going to keep you very long. They told me you're on vacation. 
I'm grateful that you're, you're taking some time out of that vacation to be Thank with you. me, so I don't want to keep you too long. Um, what makes sense to you as we look at the highs of the day now for stocks across the board? Dow's good for almost 150. The Nasdaq, which was flat as we came on the air today at noon, is up 28 points, one quarter of 1%. The S&P is up nearly one half of 1%. As we said at the outset, we're working on the best week of the year for stocks. So as you look out a few months, handful of months from now, what makes sense to you for the S&P? If we're at 43.77 right now, given the kind of environment that you described uh, that we might have because of the aggressiveness of the Fed that's necessary, what makes sense for a target on the S&P in your eyes? Well, you know, it's very hard to predict three or four months. I, I think, you know, I see S&P selling overall 19 times this year's projected earnings, 18 and a half, 19. Wow, that is not expensive uh, in a negative real interest rate world. I mean, stocks seem to are so far ahead of, of the alternatives. We all heard of Tina. Uh, there is no alternative over here. I mean, the only other real asset is 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 real estate, and that has also gone up an awful lot. So they're still ex- attractive. X-Tech, you're probably at 16 times earnings. Uh, Kalanovich mentioned emerging markets. That's What is that, 8, 9, 10, 11 times earnings? I mean, that's almost, you know, depression levels. Europe, 15, 14. Stocks are real assets. I, I still really like them for the long run. I just think that we're going to have a zigzag, as the Fed has to say, oh, I may have to get more aggressive. But then everyone else says, where else am I going to go? You know, they're real assets. Their profits are going up. I'll stick with them. Now, what, so what we're going to have a, a, a choppy market, but yeah. I'm cer- certainly positive on stocks for the long run. Okay. Uh, what if I suggested to you that, I mean, some are saying now that bonds are better investment right now than stocks. That I, know, I, would, I would definitely disagree. I, I would definitely disagree right now because, I mean, the Fed is going to be more aggressive. I'm not predicting that the bond rate is going to go 6 7%. But I think it's going to go two, three quarters or three. But look, suppose bonds stay at where they are right now. After one year, 7% inflation, and you're getting a 2% coupon, you're, you're behind 5%. So even if the rates yeah. don't go up, I don't see them as good investments. All right. Um, you go back and enjoy your vacation. You gave us a lot of Thank knowledge. You. Be careful, though. The Wharton School is going to get mad at you. You give this education <laughs> away for free. They'll start to get angry. People are supposed to pay a lot of money. I love doing this with you, Scott. All right. We'll see you soon. That's Jeremy Siegel, the Wharton School, uh, from an undisclosed location today. Uh, Pete Najarian, (laughs) let's talk some investment moves uh, that you made. Chinese stocks. We talked about risk and reward, not owning the actual names, but owning the options if you wanted to play it there. I see that you sold Alibaba calls yesterday. Talk to me about that. You still own some other areas of China exposure? Right. I still have the ETF, Scott, and this is exactly why most of the time I avoid the ETFs when I'm looking at options. And the reason I say that is they don't give you the same bank for your buck. So when you look at KWeb and you look at FXI, you look at Asher, all of those names were hitting in the last couple of days. Yesterday, Baba, they started buying those calls yesterday. The calls that they were buying were out there at the 100 strike, Scott. And those were March calls. So very, very short term, looking for a move in Baba. They got it. The stock went up to 105, I think, yesterday was the high. But those options went from $2 to $9. You can't look, look, look a gift, gift horse in the mouth. You've got to take some action. I actually tweeted that out because I didn't want people to think today 
hey, what did it, well, that's easy, but it was actually yesterday. So I did tweet out that trade that I was taking that off because of discipline. I'm still holding on those ETFs. They take longer to move. They're not giving the kind of moves that I want, especially now today on the pullback. But certainly uh, some huge moves yesterday in the Chinese names and today continuing. But today they're going down. Kerry, um, you bought more of many things, which feels to me like you know, more of what you're normally doing on a day to day basis. You you bought more Fidelity National booking holdings, Blackstone, yeah. American mm-hmm. Express, which has been a popular name on this show lately. O'Reilly Auto, United mm-hmm. Health, Charles Schwab. Can you tell me about that, please? You don't have to go through each one individually, but what made you at this point in time add to a broad group of stocks in in your holdings? Well, we had some new money to invest, and all of those stocks are selling for below market multiples if you look at either this year or next year's earnings. So uh, that that's a reason, and we're feeling more positive that we're comfortable putting more money to work right now. Um, we have a lot of technology stocks. We've added to them over the last few weeks. Until this week, that trade didn't work. And make one point on, on tech and some of the stocks that are less real-world oriented. You know, if we think about inflation and who has to spend a lot on, you know, hiring more people, commodities, whatever products through the supply chain are really uh, skyrocketing in price in the near term. With tech firms, that's not the case. Whether it's Adobe or Autodesk or Twilio PayPal, they do not have those constraints. And so we you know, continue to like the names you mentioned, but some of those tech stocks that are growing and have cash flow as well. All right. Good stuff. Financial stocks gaining ground this week, especially yesterday. A number of positive calls are out in the sector today following the Fed's rate hike and message. We'll debate that next. Michael Farr, get ready. Goldman, PNC, Truist. I need to know what to do with these stocks. We're back right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Financials Up 5% during this week, filled with volatility. Mike Mayo is now out with a new call on Bank of America. He reiterates to top pick on that strong net interest income growth. It is one of our calls of the day. Price target, $66, 56% upside from here. Pete Najarian, you own Bank of America stock and you're long the calls. I do. Yeah, and we've had a lot of option trading in there, Scott, over time, and, and they're looking for upside. Recently, it's been a little tougher to find, although we're starting to see a little bit more now in terms of the movement to the upside from Bank of America. I would challenge you this. Bank of America versus J.P. Morgan, at almost any time frame in the last year, you'd much rather be in Bank of America. Why is that? 
JP Morgan's a great company, but the price to book, which is how we oftentimes look at these financials, you look at Bank of America, it's been too cheap. It's been a great company that's been too cheap. JP Morgan was overpriced with a two multiple on top of that for a long period of time. It's now pulled back. So at some point in time, maybe it can catch up and start moving with Bank of America. But right now, I think this is the stock to own. Michael Farr, you choose Goldman Sachs, PNC, and Truist. Why? I, I like them all. I mean, you've got strong companies, strong dividends. I think a lot of these people maybe might be from Missouri who needed to see if the Fed was really going to do what they were going to do. In a higher rate environment, they're all really well positioned, I think. And, you know, you get stocks like PNC, $74 billion on the Fed's balance sheet that they can put to work in other areas at higher yields as these yields increase. Two and three quarter percent dividend, Goldman north of two, Truist almost three percent dividend. I mean, they're not expensive yet, and this is a much better, much more friendly operating environment. And as you can tell, I like these more regional names. PNC would probably be my pick. But, but let me ask you this. I mean, here's the, here's the issue. The, the market has priced in six more hikes, right? It's done that, and yet rates aren't. Maybe. Rates aren't. Well, I mean, that's what it's priced in if you, if you look at, 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 at the, uh, the, the futures of that. Um, it's not mm -hmm. like rates are ripping higher. What if rates... Because it's already in the market and there's enough concern about what's going on geopolitically and with the economy at large. What if rates don't go up as much as people think that they're, they're going to do? I mean, I go back to the, the big yield calls curve we've is had. flattening. Yeah. yeah. How are the financials going to work in that environment, Michael? I think the yield curve is certainly the yield curve is flattening and it's going to go through this ratchet. We've seen this before through every rate hiking cycle. It ratchets up and down. Uh, I, I think that what you're seeing, though, is still lots of cash. You've got good asset values. I don't think that you're going to see any real credit cycle, huge kind of a problem through any of this. Uh, and so I think they're solid. Are they runaway buys? No, I'm not, you know, screaming and, and pounding the table. I own three right now, so I'm underweight the group. But I think as you've got to have some exposure, these are good ones to have. Okay. We'll see. Pete has unusual activity next on The Half. Let's do it, Pete. Unusual. What do you see today? All right. I'm going to start off with a cloud-based company that's not really well-known probably by a lot of people, but Marketa, Scott. This one's pretty interesting because of the fact that, you know, we haven't seen a lot of option paper in here, and it's trading on its lows. This is one of those names where you're talking about these high multiple names and so forth. Well, this is a stock that was $31. It sifted all the way down to $10.80 today, and that's when they started buying some of the calls. The April 12.5 calls, buyer of 10,000 of those calls, paying about 60 cents. They actually hedged those off, selling the upside call against it. But keep in mind, those are April 12 and a half. Stock's going to have to make a little bit of a move here in a fairly short period of time. I just let you know that because a lot of the time we've seen even much shorter than that. So next, Centene. Now we get to healthcare once in a while. We haven't seen a lot of this. This one's very unusual because these are in the money calls. Stock is trading about 86.60. These are the April 80 calls going for about $7.80. 
3,000 of those. They're wanting leverage. They want to own it like a stock. Rather than owning the stock, though, they're only having to pay that amount that I just said, $7.80 for this to move if it particularly can break out to the upside, which it is in position to do so right now if it can go a little bit higher. Lastly, I've got Schlumberger. Energy has not stopped. We see this big bounce today in oil. It's back up towards 102. We had Schlumberger, 9,500 of the April 42 and a half call. Stock was trading 39 at the time. They bought, uh, bought these calls for about a dollar, Scott. I am in all three of these trades. Good stuff, Pete. Thank you. Coming up, a bullish call Thanks. on FedEx ahead of its earnings tonight after the bell. The stock is trading in bear market territory. We'll discuss if now is, in fact, the time to buy it. There it is. We're back after this. All right, FedEx set to report earnings later today after the bell, in overtime, by the way. Shares are up nearly 6% this week, still down 12% this year. What do you do with it, Michael Farr? There is a call on it today from Barclays reiterating the stock is overweight. Top pick, $345 is the price target. Uh, Scott, you do two things. One, uh, I, you know, I own this stock. I've owned it for a while. Uh, it had a tough end of the 2021, but uh, COVID supply chain things. They made significant investments in increasing uh, their capacities. They've got demand strength and they've got pricing power at 10 times earnings, growing earnings, maybe 12 percent. It's got a peg ratio less than one. It's got a dividend of 1.4 percent. So, I like it. I own it. I will buy it where I don't have it. Uh, but uh, you certainly have to watch your show later today to check in on those earnings and see what it really does. But yeah. I'm a buyer and holder. I mean, it's interesting. You know, even though they reiterate it as overweight, you read down in their commentary and they say, quote, nonetheless, to achieve a market valuation commensurate with FedEx's large size, Management must deliver concrete plans to achieve or exceed margin parity with other parcel operators at this year's upcoming analyst meeting. It's almost like, okay, we reiterated overweight. We think you can get to 345, but in some respects, the jury's still out even for us. Look, you got There's always a kind of a hedge when you've got a transportation company with this much labor cost. You've got fuel costs as an input cost and labor costs, and we know what's happening. A lot of this call, I think, I mean, it's either going to be, I think, decent growth or really good growth, and a lot of that's going to depend on how much of those higher costs they can pass on to the consumer. Right now, they've got a lot of demand. From every bit of demand that you see, you say, yes, they're going to be able to do it. Six months, could that change? Sure, it could. But for now, I think it's compelling value. I, I mean, it's, it's inexpensive. I don't know how fast it goes up. No, I, I hear you. Um, again, I'll have the numbers uh, as they break on overtime later today. We'll take a quick break here. We'll do final trades next. Please tune in for Eastern Closing Bell Overtime. Joining me today, Eminence Capital's Ricky Sandler, Quadratics, Nancy Davis. More actionable ideas all hour long coming your way. Again, FedEx earnings are going to break. We'll have the instant analysis and the trades there as well. Speaking of trades, let's do final ones here. Carrie Firestone, you are first. So Health Equity is my name. It's health savings plan company. Had a terrible year, the stock, in 2021. Three things are great for them this year. More employment, more people commuting. They do commuter passes. They have a lot of cash deposits, interest rates going up. We think the stock will be good. Thank you. At downtown. Uh, 
Carlisle, I think this is one of the names that continues to do well. Uh, it's private equity. The money is pouring in over the transom for these types of alternative investments, especially given a flattening yield curve. Um, so I like this name among all of the other names in the group. Uh, they've had outstanding results in recent years. I think that can continue. Okay, Pete. I'm going to give you CCJ, Chemical. I got to tell you, Scott, uranium stocks are absolutely all over the place. They're buying them. They continue to buy upside. And today we just had some right during the show, 20,000 of the September 35s. It just keeps on going. Okay. I think this is going higher. Michael Farr, quick. Ross Stores, treasure hunt retailer, 17 times earnings, growing earnings, 12%, 1.2% dividend. I like Ross. All right, good seeing you, pal. Farmer Jim, wrap it up. Thank you. Citigroup, City loan demand picking up along with credit quality. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for watching. I'll see you in overtime. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.